Christians often talk about Jesus being number one in our lives, but um, the danger of phrasing it that way, and this might just be pedantic, but the danger of phrasing it that way is that he's number one in our lives, uh, and once we've done that in the morning, we've ticked him off, he's the first thing, and then we can get on with the rest of our lives. I just prefer the, 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 the way it sounds to say Jesus is at the centre of my life all the time. Uh, and so there, there was another definition of worship that I came across some time ago. I think it was from a man called John Drain, and he said that worship is all that I am responding to all that God is. Mm. Worship is, think about that for a moment, all that I am responding to all that God is. All that I am, that's my waking, my sleeping, my eating, my walking around, my swearing, my <laughs> whatever it is I'm doing, I've got, to, I've got to turn that around and live my life for Jesus, responding to God. It's not just all the activities I do, it's every part of me, it's, it's my body, it's my mind, it's my emotions, it's surrendering them, it's responding to, to, to all that God is. Well, think about that side. I've talked about all that I am, responding to all that God is. I don't actually think we'll ever, in this life, I know that we'll never, in this life, fully see all that God is. In fact, I don't think we'd survive the experience. I don't think we've got the capacity to understand all that God is. But the bit of God that we can cope with, the, the God that we find in the Word and in other people and in... Um, in life, as we journey through life, we just find that he is love, that he is mercy, that he is forgiveness, that he is grace, and we respond. That is our worship. It makes a different kind of um, picture of what worship is. When we use the word worship, very often we think of um, song worship, what we just did with some singing, and, and that is part of worship, but there is so much, so much more. And in the, uh, the front of your sheets, there are a few verses of scripture which come from the end of Romans chapter 11 in the Bible, and then they flow into Romans chapter 12, because as we've said many times, the Bible wasn't actually written with chapter numbers or headings or verse numbers, and so we don't really know necessarily, it's not always paragraphs either, so we don't actually necessarily know where the writer had a pause in mind. It just flows from one thing to the other. And if you're reading the Bible chapter by chapter, you finish at Romans 11 and, and then pick up Romans 12, Romans 12 the next day, and you lose the flow. But it starts, Romans 12 starts with the word therefore, so there's kind of a flow already implied by that. And I just thought, well, before we go into Romans 12, let's backtrack. And actually, all of Romans 11 is summarising this incredible plan that God had for humanity. R Romans 11 is talking about how <laughs> God chose the Jewish nation to be a light to other nations, that the Jews were, a, Israel was a special chosen nation that, yes, went away from God from time to time quite repeatedly, but they were the chosen nation. And God's intent was that they would be a light to other nations, that other nations would come to God through Israel. And, and then part of their worship, incidentally, was to offer an animal sacrifice. And then Paul goes on in Romans 11, we're not quite in the verses that we've got in front of us yet, to say how 
amazingly, God has grafted into the vine of Israel, if you think of the nation as a vine, um, he's grafted non-Jews, Gentiles, into that vine. And then he just bursts into Paul, that bursts into this praise, which we've got written here. Oh, the depth. Can I just borrow that? Because I lent mine away. You, you'll have to just listen, sorry. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom. You know it off by art anyway. Yeah, that's right. What's the next bit? <laughs> oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. He's just in raptures about this incredible God with a blueprint for humanity right from the beginning. He says, I swear that Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. Oh, God's, the riches of his knowledge. He's talking here in this verse about God's knowledge, about God's wisdom, about how unsearchable they are. We can't fathom God out. The big picture that he's just been talking about in Romans 11, the Jews being God's people and the, the Gentiles coming in and Jesus dying, and so that now because of Jesus' death we don't have to do animal sacrifices. The whole plan that God had from the beginning, Paul's just overwhelmed by God's wisdom that we just can't fathom. And when you think about that, if you think of it as a big picture, God's big picture for humanity, and we're just so wrapped up in our own lives so often, thinking about our picture. Even if you're um, open-minded enough to be thinking about the community around you and the, the nation and how God is moving in the nations, it's still a very small part of God's big picture. And I, I have this Im imagination that if, if you ever look really close to a TV screen, I don't think TV screens are like this now because technology's changed, but when you get really close, you can see all the little squares, can't you? Uh, and on a computer screen, they're called pixels, aren't they? Um, and I just imagine God's big picture being on a giant screen like that, and when you, when you look really close in, all the pi pixels are actually individual pictures as well. Wouldn't that be a cool piece of art? And, and those little pixels are your life, or, or our lives. We've just got such a small image of what God's big picture is, and we just see our little pixel in the big picture. We don't try and fathom God out, that's all I'm trying to say, because he's placed you in that place, in that part of the picture, for a reason, and you're just there for, for, for his purpose. So what he's saying here is we just can't fathom God out. His judgments are unsearchable. So we try and figure out, why did this person die? Why did this person get healed? What's going on in the world? We're just trying to figure out, why is God doing this? Why is God not doing that? Why, after praying, and I'm sure I had enough faith, did this not happen? Stop trying to figure God out. Let's just surrender. This is what it means to live our lives with Jesus at the centre. It's to say, God, you're unsearchable. and I'm, Your ways are unsearchable. But by some kind of mystery, I've found you, and you've found me, and I'm so grateful. I want to live the rest of my life for you. That's what worship is. It's more than just singing on a Sunday. And his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known, I'm on the next uh, bit now, who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counsellor? It's a rhetorical question. Who could, 
who could give advice to God. And yet, how often do we do that? We, we tell him how he's going to answer our prayers. And there's a lack of surrender once again. Who's ever been God's counsellor? He is the ancient of days. He's, he's eternal. He's pre-existent. He's more than anyone could ever counsel. Who's ever tried to advise God? Who's ever been able to advise God? Who's ever given to God? You know, anything we do give to God as worship, it's already his anyway. It's giving back to him what's already his. Who could ever give to God, it says here? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Therefore, brothers and sisters, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. So that's, that's the backdrop to this Romans 12 verses 1 and 2. Because he is so unsearchable, unfathomable, but wonderful and incredibly, he, although we can't give anything back to him, when we do give something, well we can give things back to him, we can't in a way because it was his in the first place. He still receives them with such joy, like a father receiving a gift from a child. It's just amazing. So let's offer ourselves to him. That's what it means to live lives as with Jesus at the centre. It's, it's, um, it's all that I am responding to all that God is. We'll read to the end. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And that's why I picked this, these verses when we're talking about this, this pillar of our church, this value that we will not sway from, whatever happens in the world. Worship is important to us. And so I picked this verse because it tells us what true and proper worship is. It's all that I am responding to all that God is. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. So, I've been in church all my life. I'm 51. I was in church before I was born. So, <laughs> always been there. And I've seen lots of worship. I've been in Methodist church, at a Methodist church for six years, because um, I lost the key. But I, I, I was in and out of a Methodist church for six years. And um, I've, I've worked in a church school for 20 years, an Anglican school, and been in Blackburn Cathedral, some wonderful liturgy. I grew to love the, the theology and some of the stuff that they, that they speak out. Um, you know, in the Anglican churches and been in Pentecostal church for most of my life and um, and the word worship still kind of means the same thing it means what happens in, in the spooky god box, as my boss used to call Blackburn Cathedral the spooky god box <laughs> it's what happens in there, that's what worship is but what, is, what does the Bible tell us? what does the Bible tell us what we've just read? worship is, is offering ourselves as a living sacrifice Holy and it's amazing actually. This is this is the depth of God's grace that we would be deemed holy and acceptable to him. Amazing. God, we want to worship you. 
And so the singing is an expression of our emotion and our feeling. But throughout life, I've noticed people say, wasn't the worship good on Sunday? Oh, the worship was great this morning. Especially as Andrew and I were involved in leading worship in Liverpool for uh, many years. <coughs> we were in Liverpool for a decade. And most of that time, I was the, the main worship leader. And people would say, oh, worship was great this morning. And I would talk to my pastor and he would say, um, what do people mean when they say the worship was great this morning? And I'd think, well, I don't know, really. It was a good buzz, a good atmosphere. And he'd say, well, I got that at a, um, a concert, a secular concert the other day, a real good buzz, real good atmosphere. Um, and I'm thinking, well, that's why God made worship, isn't it? He made worship. Sorry, why God made music. He made music so that we could worship him and that atmosphere that can be created opens people's hearts and that's all great. It's, yeah, but don't judge the worship of the church on the quality of the band. Oh, okay, but I just spent ages getting the band sounding great. <laughs> the drummer and the bass are so tight together, they're just oh, they're like one instrument. And that keyboard player is just inspirational. It just yeah, but Jules Holland does a good job of that as well with his with his band. He's not a Christian. So what is worship? The worship was great on Sunday. But when, when people say that, or what's, if you're visiting a church or you're going somewhere, what's the worship like in your church? Well, what that literally means is how well are the congregation offering their bodies as a living sacrifice? So next time someone asks, what's the worship like at BCC? Say, well, William and Christine, they put themselves out for other people. And so-and-so, uh, he memorises parts, parts of the Bible just for his own devotional time. And somebody else, they, they do this, that and the other. Because that's what worship is. They're offering something about themselves to God as a living sacrifice. And when we come together on Sunday, that's just a corporate expression of everything that we're living out because of what God's done on the inside of us. How was worship on Sunday? Well, how was the church's worship on Monday? We don't have a meeting on Monday. I know. How was the, the church's worship on Monday. Well, I can't remember last Monday, so let's go a bit, a bit further back, uh, nearer. How was the church's worship yesterday? Well, I don't know. I don't know what everybody was doing. But that's the way I want us to think. It's why Paul and Verity and I want us to be thinking about what is worship. How are we offering our bodies as a living, living sacrifice daily to Jesus? You are worshipping when you let someone off a debt that they owe. You're showing mercy. If, if led by the Spirit to do so, not everybody should let everybody off their debts. There's, there's reasons for that. But sometimes the Spirit will lead us to do that, to show some mercy, to, to, to not hold that judgment over somebody. We're letting, we're, we're, we're worshipping when we forgive somebody because we're offering something to God. If we do it in a spirit of, of um, communion with Jesus, we're doing that as worship. You're worshipping when... You, you, you're changing a tyre for somebody and you're praying for them while you do it. You're worshipping when you're doing all sorts of incredible things, when you're washing up and just giving that, saying, Lord, just thank you for this meal that we've had and I don't want to wash up, but I'm glad that we've, we've got food on our table. It's just offering moments to Jesus all day long. It's remembering, it's having some kind of routine where we actually remember to do that in our day to day. So how is the church worshipping? It's nothing to do with the few at the front. It's to do with the, the, the church, the family. 
in the field and wherever they are. I like that, I just made that up. It's not about the few at the front, it's the family in the field. I wish I'd written that down, but I have written anything down, so I don't even know. So there were two D words I wanted to bring that, br that bring this together for me, and they are devotion and discipline. And we don't like the second word so much, so we'll start with devotion. I think they're both really important. Um, devotion is like the heartfelt feeling, isn't it? Sort of devotion. If you say you're devoted to someone, it's a heart thing. It's got a sense of emotion about it. And our worship must have that sense of devotion in it. That was in it, not in it, like in it, man. <laughs> got to have some emotion in it. We've got to have some emotion in it, in our worship. We've got to be devoted. But we also need discipline. Discipline is the thing that gets the assignment done on time. It, 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 keeps, you, it keeps you structured and routined. And on its own, it's, it becomes judgmental and, um, <laughs> and, and wooden and boring but with devotion behind it. So devotion comes first. The people who met Jesus, they, they didn't discipline themselves to follow him because they, they felt that, that was the rule. They were devoted first. They saw something in him and they devoted themselves to him and then the discipline followed and not all of them had the discipline. So you need both because you fall away without the discipline. We need de devotion to Jesus and we need some discipline in our lives. Let's just dwell on that just just a tiny bit longer and imagine uh, a marriage where just one of the two exists. So a marriage with just um, with just devotion. So Andrew and I are devoted to one another. Love you, Love you too. Oh. <laughs> so sweet. Um, but we've got no discipline, imagine. Imagine we have no, there's that feeling of devotion. But so we don't and take the time to have date nights. We don't have to take the time to go for walks together. We don't plan it. And we get busy with our own lives, but there's that feeling of devotion, but we're just busy and things come our way and there's no discipline, so we just follow whatever trail comes our way. And the devotion, I don't think it will last. And if it does, it won't be half as deep as if we were disciplined to spend time together, to say no to other people so that we could work on our relationship. That takes discipline. But imagine a marriage where it's all discipline and no devotion. And I think this actually does happen, where out of, um, I don't want to say legalism, but out of routine, and maybe a sense of duty, two people do things together routinely, but there's no devotion. Well, that's a bit shallow, isn't it? It's a bit hollow. Well, I think the same is true in our worship and in our relationship to Jesus. After all, we are his bride and our devotion to him needs to be absolutely real, absolutely heartfelt. And if we don't feel that devotion, I'm going to talk about a few things in about a minute where, where we'll do that and we'll pray and then we'll, we'll sing. If you don't feel devoted to Jesus, we'll talk about that very soon. But I was just saying about in our worship, we need that absolute heart devotion towards him. But we do need some discipline. We need to build some routines into our lives. I've been talking to other church leaders recently and there's a sense that in, in our congregations there are many people in, in our congregations who don't read the Bible every day. And to us as church leaders we think that's just like 
water to us, it's like oxygen to us, we just can't believe it, but it's true, there's people just getting on with their day-to-day -day life. And um, one, one leader was saying recently, he's, he's, <laughs> he's taken on to do a, a study of Revelation, the book of Revelation, and he, he said, right, let's be honest, do, do, do a show of hands, who's never read the book of Revelation in their life? And half people put their hand up, oh, I've not read that. And these are people going to the church every... I'm not saying you need to go home and read Revelation. <laughs> I'm just showing by example that not all of us have the routines that I think demonstrate that our, our lives are with Jesus at the centre. Because if our lives are with Jesus at the centre, we would be wanting to find him in his word every day. We would be wanting to connect with him every day. I connect with Andrea every day over coffee. We have, if, if I can, if I'm in, we'll have coffee together. That's one that I don't want to do breakfast because I'm, till, I'm still grumpy. <laughs> but by the time we get to coffee, and the blood sugar's back going again, and you know. I'm not having coffee today, so yeah. I think what I'd have been like if I had. This is, this is water. I'll take a sip. Now, the, the thing is, I want to connect with her every day. Why don't we want to connect with Jesus every day? Well, maybe we do. Maybe I'm preaching to the converted. But can I just encourage you to continue? Because this is the way forward for us as a church. This is the way we're going to actually hear from him. You don't hear from someone if you're not conversing with them, if you're not talking and listening with them. And that's what I believe God wants us to do today. And that's what I believe is our act of worship. So three things very quickly we can do if we don't feel devoted. Number one is um, in, this, in the text, what was it? How does it start? Let me borrow yours this time. Thank you. <laughs> round of applause for Anne. Yeah, it wasn't very enthusiastic, was it? Sorry, don't. And that round of applause did not reflect our feelings towards you. <laughs> round of applause for Anne. <laughs> that was getting close to how we actually feel about it. We're thinking right now. Um, yeah, there were three things in the text. I'm sure they were there. Yeah. Um, the second one's don't conform to the pattern of the world. The third one's being transformed. And the first one is in view of God's mercy. That was it. In view of God's mercy. The first, if you don't feel devoted to God, ask him to show you how merciful he's been to you. I don't deserve to stand here and talk to anybody about being worshipful. Because on my own, I'm just a dirty piece of hell-bound scum. As compared with God, that's what I am. I don't deserve anything. But I have a glimpse of God's mercy that he would look at me and actually, somebody said this morning how it's great to be your children, we're just privileged to be your children, God. But the mad thing is, he feels privileged to have you as a child. That's how much he loves you. That's how great his mercy is. He's, he's like jumping up and down. Jonathan Petz gets to be my son. I love him so much. I'm so glad he's responded to the fact that I died for him. That's his mercy. I don't deserve that. None of us do. If we get a view of his mercy, then we will offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Living sacrifices. So it's not like a, it's not like a suicide mission. It's not like the animal sacrifice. The animal actually died. This is a living sacrifice. So that was the first thing. If you don't feel devoted to God, ask him to show you his mercy. 
show you what his mercy means. Pray, talk to him, search the scriptures. The second thing is let's not conform to the pattern of this world. And that's more and more important as the world diverts further from the word. Two very different words, very similar words, were the word and the world. But there's an L of a difference between them. The danger is, and Paul said this before, quoting some other person who really spoke into this um, before I was here. We try and bend the word to match the word. That's the danger in the church. Certain things become accepted norms. Um, they're called, in psychology, they're called plausibility structures. Right? So what's plausible? What's believable? What makes sense? And it's from our figures of authority above us, and nowadays that's social media for most people, from our figures of authority and our parents and whatever, whatever they say is normal. So if, they, if we grew up a few hundred years ago and was taught that the world is flat, that's normal to us, and that's our plausibility structure, and that's the, the, the world in which we live in. But that's shifting away from the Bible. And the danger is that what we try and do is we try and become relevant to the world and we just skirt around bits of the Bible that don't. So this is moving into next week's talk on the Word because that's our second value. We skirt away from those bits of the Word that don't line up with the world. What we're supposed to be doing is bending the world back into shape with the Word because His Word is eternal. It stands forever. The, the grass will wither and the flowers will fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. So let us not conform to the pattern of this world. Let's build our own plausibility structure. I learned that word this week, that phrase this week. Let's build our own. But we don't have to build it. It's already there for us. It's all written out for us in God's guidebook to life. So that's the second thing. The first thing is get the view of his mercy. The second thing is let's not conform to the pattern of the world. And that's going to be hard. That's going to require standing up for some persecution, possibly. It's not going to be easy. And the third one was um, don't and then do something else. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It would be good to have notes, really, wouldn't it? Very well. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So to renew your mind requires to fix your mind on something intentionally, rather than being undisciplined. Talk about, remember about discipline and devotion. Being undisciplined and letting your mind wander wherever it chooses and, um, and letting the billboards and the social media and the TV and your friends and your family members and all those different bombardments of information that come our way, letting them guide our thinking. It's being transformed by the renewing of our minds, and let's get back into the Word. Let's fellowship with one another. Let's encourage one another into works of, of service and, and encourage one another in the Lord. This is all part of worship. It's what worship really is. We're going to be transformed. And there's a wonderful outcome, and with this I finish. The wonderful outcome is you'll be able to test and approve God's good and pleasing will. That is a great outcome. Yeah. You can test his will because you're in communion with the Father. You're like we talked about the Gentiles being grafted into the vine. We as individuals can be grafted into Jesus, the true vine. 
we're not just as a church grafted into Israel, the, the, the vine. We're to, we, we as individuals are, are able to be grafted into the true vine, Jesus Christ. It's all there in John 15. And as we do that, we are feeding from the nourishing sap of Jesus because we are communing with him. We're talking to him every day as a discipline. Even if that talking takes 30 seconds and you just tell him something, at least you've opened the communication. You know, when you've uh, got an awkward person at work or some, somewhere, and uh, I had this with a caretaker who um, it was really cross with me because my classroom was so untidy. Um, and he left this stinking note and he refused to clean it and there was litter all across the floor. And what he didn't know was someone else had borrowed the classroom because I was free the last lesson and it, was, it wasn't even me who left it in the mess. And, and so he had this hor we had, had this horrible ex exchange. Uh, and then afterwards, it's like you're in the same room together. It's just awkward. <laughs> Until someone just breaks the silence. Even if it's just over something mundane. Well, why don't you break the silence with God? Even if it's over something mundane. Every day, just break the silence. Every day. There was another chap who... Um, friend of ours knew in Liverpool who believed he was coming to church, he was on the fringes, and he said, me and God are in the same room, we're just not talking. And I thought, that's quite a good description of how lots of people are, isn't it? I didn't bother to correct his grammar. <laughs> Do you mean God and I? <laughs> Trying to help people here. A deeper level. Break the silence. Commune with him. Then you'll be able to test and approve. See, why would we approve it? Because we're so close to him, it's like, yeah, God, I get this. Because you're, it's like two hearts beating as one, yours and God's. You approve God's will, you approve of it, you get it. You think, it's not like, oh, I don't want to do this. And I know there's times where he tells us to do things we don't want to do, but there are, there's a deeper level where we just know in our spirit that this is the right thing to do. We're approving God's will because we're close to him, because we know his mercy, we've offered our bodies, we're not being conforms to the pattern of the world, we've been transformed, and that is our true and proper worship.